Hello and welcome to episode 157 of the UK True Crime Weekly podcast. I'm Adam. What's that old expression, you can choose your friends but not your family? In today's story from Luton, we hear about a close family ripped apart by a secret affair, leading to a shocking conclusion. As always, a huge thank you to all of my supporters on Patreon, but especially this week's new members of this exclusive club. That's Charlotte Jones and David Sparks. Thank you all so much for your support, which is really, really appreciated. Let's briefly set some context for today's story by taking a quick look at the music we were listening to, or not, on the 23rd of May 2016. The UK music charts saw Drake featuring Wizkid and Kyla in the top spots with One Dance. In the US, it was the Trouser Snake at the summit with Can't Stop This Feeling. And in Australia, the top album was Keith Urban with Ripcord. In the news this month, Leicester City, who the bookies had at 5,000 to 1 to win the league, were crowned champions of the Premier League in England. Boris Johnson was succeeded as Mayor of London by Sadiq Khan. Former Chad dictator Hassine Habre was convicted of crimes against humanity by the extraordinary African Chambers, the first ex-head of state convicted of the charge. And thousands of outraged middle-class parents took children out of classes as part of an unprecedented one-day pupil strike over new, tough tests for seven-year-olds. Today's story is from Luton, a large town in Bedfordshire, with a population of around 220,000 people, located about 30 miles northwest of London. Famous historically for its hat-making, and for those of us of a certain age, recalling the Lorraine Chase song, Luton Airport. Google it. The local community in Luton were in shock at the murder of 34-year-old mother of four, Simon Khan. Her parents and husband had been at her funeral at the local mosque, and when they returned home, they ran straight back out into the streets, screaming, unable to believe that Simon had been murdered in her own house. Neighbours rushed to the street to see what had happened and police soon arrived to find the family standing outside their home in a state of utter shock. The scene that greeted police in the house was just awful. Same as lifeless body was lying in the hallway in a pool of blood. She'd been stabbed in a frenzy with a later post-mortem counting at least 68 separate wounds all over her body. One of her hands had been cut off and there were a number of injuries on her neck, leaving her head almost severed from her body. It appeared to be a burglary gone wrong as the bedrooms had been ransacked, and some of the jewellery owned by the family had been taken. Same as younger sister, Sabah, was utterly hysterical, as she'd been in the house at the time and told police how she'd hidden from the intruder in the shower, terrified for her own life. Over the coming days as the community mourned, same as 37-year-old taxi-driving husband, Haviz Raymond, appealed to the local community for information that could lead detectives to her killer. He said, She was a loving mother to four beautiful children, a devoted wife, a beloved daughter, and the most caring of sisters. She has been taken from us at the age of 34, and my children have been deprived of their mother. This was a junction in our lives where we intended to watch our children grow, to love them, 
and spend quality time as a family and make memories. We've been left with a gap in our lives and we can only pray that she's resting in peace. As everyone can appreciate and understand that the circumstances have torn our hearts apart, my family and I would like to thank you for the condolences messages and support that we've received from family, friends and the local community. We are working alongside Bedfordshire Police in this investigation and we would like for those responsible to be caught and brought to justice. Detective Chief Inspector Adam Gallup said, This is a tragic incident and I would urge anyone who witnessed anything suspicious to get in touch with us to help us establish the circumstances. We are keeping an open mind as to what led to Samer's death and we have a team of officers following a number of lines of inquiry. Even small pieces of information could be crucial, so I'd ask people in the area to cast their minds back to see if they can remember anything suspicious. You might have been driving or walking along Overston Road and either saw or heard something suspicious. If so, we want to hear from you. As door-to-door inquiries began, detectives began to look in more detail at Samer's life. She and Hafiz seemed happy and had only recently had their fourth child. The two had moved into the house where Samer died straight after their wedding, sharing the three-bedroom semi-detached house with Samer's parents and sister. A bit cosy, but everyone seemed to get on well. Samer worked as a carer, and there appeared to be no problems with her work. The couple had recently announced to the family that they needed their own space, and they were really excited as they were going to be moving finally into their own house. All in all, things looked very positive for the couple. As usual, detectives looked closely at the movements of those closest to Samer, and they quickly ruled out any involvement of her husband or parents, as they were seen by many people at the funeral at the local mosque on the evening that Samer was killed. So just who had killed this loving, caring woman, and why? Except for potentially a burglary gone wrong, there appeared to be no motive. Detectives suspected the information from her sister, Sabah, could be key to solving the case. Just what had she seen or heard? On the night of the murder, Samer had been at work looking after an elderly woman nearby, while Sabah looked after the children. Sabah told them how she had been in the shower when an intruder had broken into the house via the back door, just after Samer had arrived home from work, and how she had hidden in the shower, terrified that she would be next. Over the coming days, the detectives very carefully questioned Samer's children in case they'd heard anything. Although it was late at night and the children had been sleeping, their eldest daughter had been woken by a noise that she thought was their aunt's coming home. After hearing strange noises, she recalled shouting, Are you killing a mouse? There was no reply from Sabah to her question. Detectives began to have doubts about Sabah's story and going back to the officer first at the scene, they found that Sabah had blood on her arm. When asked why that was, she said this must have come from the smashed door. The realisation quickly set in for detectives that maybe Sabah could have harmed her own sister. And eight days after the murder, to the astonishment of friends and family, Sabah Khan was arrested on suspicion of murder after detectives searched her bedroom and discovered a plastic bag hidden containing bloodied clothes, gloves 
and a sabatier carving knife, which was covered in Seymour's blood. Sabar was hysterical when arrested, denying any involvement, and repeatedly saying how she loved her sister. But very soon, as detectives began to delve further, her story began to unravel. CCTV showed Sabar buying the knife which killed Seymour in Tesco a few days earlier. But even more damning were the results of her internet history and her phone records. It soon became clear that Sabar had been having a long affair with her sister's husband, and when confronted, he confessed. He had little choice, frankly. He said that everyone had got along fine until 2012 when Seymour gave birth to their second child. As for so many of us with young children, things were tough between the couple, and at the same time he said that Sabar had made clear she was very interested in him sexually. He tried to resist, not hard enough, and soon they were having a full-on affair, having to be careful in the house in case they were seen. But it was all candles and romance otherwise, having sex in the back of his taxi on every occasion possible. Dreamy, huh? Who could resist? Seymour had given birth to their fourth child the year before she was killed, and at that time Hafiz began to reconsider the affair, coming to the realisation that he hadn't ever stopped loving his wife, and in reality, he had loved her all along. It was just their situation he struggled with. He told detectives he ended the affair with Sabah, who wasn't at all happy with this course of events. He later told detectives he had tried to break it off much earlier, but it was difficult, as Sabah had threatened to harm herself if he did. His feelings for both women were clear from his own electronic devices, which showed he had searched at one time online whether or not Islamic law would allow him to marry both sisters. So to him, this wasn't just a meaningless fling. And bizarrely, to me anyway, he refused to take any precautions when having sex with Sabah, which at one stage in 2012 led to her becoming pregnant. To avoid a complete family meltdown, she chose to have an abortion. And on another occasion, Havis had warned off another man who had developed a relationship with her. As detectives looked through Sabah's messages to him, they could see that she was clearly obsessed with her sister's husband. She bombarded him with WhatsApp messages and called Seymour a bitch, saying, that bitch you constantly text 24-7, but me, you don't have time. In another message sent two months before the murder, she wrote, I don't know why you are treating me like this. I don't know why you don't respect me. Nothing in the world can change my feelings for you. As she begged and pleaded with him to resume the affair, she even told him, If I could, I would take my heart out and show you what you are for me. Nothing in the world can change my feelings for you, not even you. Day by day, my love for you gets stronger. But Hafiz this time told detectives that he wouldn't succumb to the pressure and he blocked her messages on his phone. Although detectives did uncover that despite his claims of ending the affair, he was still in fact having sex with Sabah just days before the murder. And this may be contributed to why Sabah felt she couldn't blame the man she loved for not coming back to her. It wasn't his fault. He clearly wanted her. 
and now that he and Seymour were going to be leaving the house, she wouldn't be able to see him so often. Sabah turned her venom on her sister, believing that this was, of course, Seymour's fault. Why should she have him and her lovely family, leaving her with nothing? It just wasn't fair. And it was now that she began to have darker thoughts. Three months before the murder, Sabah began researching methods of committing murder on the internet, including searches for where to buy poisonous snakes and viewing a page entitled 16 Steps to Kill Someone and Not Get Caught. One tip read, use a bag from a major grocery store, not a local one. This is one she followed as the knife and clothes were in a Tesco bag. Another tip was to hide the identity of the victim by cutting off the head and hands. Same as hand had been removed and the killer had tried to cut off her head. There was also advice on how to make it look as though a burglary had taken place, such as by not pulling out all the drawers equally, as you can't go through a bottom drawer if the top drawer is open. There was also evidence of this at the crime scene. And the final piece of advice, which I'm sure you already know, which is don't do research on a computer that can be traced back to you. And it was the digital trail left by Sabah which convinced detectives of her guilt. Another search she made was how to hire a killer. Detectives discovered that from this search she had, from at least March 2016, been in contact with a black magic practitioner in Pakistan, who she paid £5,000 to cast a spell that would kill Sema. Although the messages were sent in the third person, it was established that Sabah sent them. One said, You finish off Sema as quickly as possible so my Sabah can get to Hafiz back. And forensic evidence also showed that Sabah was lying as it placed her close to the glass in the back door at the time it was smashed, not in the shower as she had claimed. Tiny fragments were identified on the clothing she discarded in the bin bag next to her bed along with the murder weapon. It was clear that Sabah was the killer. Detectives believed they'd pieced together the events of the night of the murder. While the rest of the family attended a funeral, Seymour left the house at around 10.15pm to go to work. Meanwhile that evening, Sabah had been busy online searching how long does a Muslim funeral take, clearly identifying her window of opportunity to attack Seymour. She then sent four text messages to her sister, saying that her youngest daughter, who had just turned one, was crying and needed her mum to lure her back to the house. A neighbour's CCTV system captured the moment that Seymour arrived outside her home and she entered the house at 11.07pm. On entering the house, Seymour turned down the downstairs hallway lights and 45 seconds, the lights went off, so the downstairs was in darkness. It was then that Sabah Khan struck as she waited in the darkness to carry out her brutal attack. She lay in wait for her sister and 45 seconds after Seymour got into the house, she was murdered in the hallway. There was no evidence that she ever managed to leave that area by the front door as she suffered the most vicious and sustained attack. As Seymour's four children lay upstairs in the bed, Sabah repeatedly stabbed their mum with one blow penetrating all the way through her neck, severing her arteries and jugular vein. 
Shockingly, even after Sam had died, evidence showed that her younger sister had tugged at clothing to inflict even deeper knife wounds. She then smashed a window and concealed the knife in the black, bloodstained clothing she'd worn to carry out the killing in bin liners. The hallway of the house remained in darkness for just over eight minutes, the period in which Sami was murdered. And then at 11.25pm, Sabah rang her parents to tell them there had been a burglary, having already changed clothes and concealed the murder weapon. She also called the police and told them that she'd been in the shower at the time of the attack. In phone recordings, she claimed, I heard banging. When I heard banging, I came down and I saw her like that. I wonder how she then felt as she waited for the others to come home and for the police to arrive. Elated, terrified or remorseful, what do you think? In all her court appearances, Sabah Khan insisted she was innocent and pleaded not guilty to murder before she changed her plea to guilty on the first day of her trial at the Old Bailey. Sabah wept in the dock as details of her relationship with Sam's husband were read out in court by her QC. It's part of this defendant's mitigation that the instigation of this relationship was at the behest of an older man, a decade older, he said, adding that not only was Sabah much younger in age, but had also been assessed as in the low average range of intelligence. It brewed and it festered, and in the end, she made the decision that her sister had to go, and she will live with that for the rest of her life. The QC added, The impression I got of Sabah was that in many respects she'd been a loner. She'd become detached from the world outside. I didn't get the sense that she'd a social circle of friends and associates, and her world really revolved around her connection with her sister and with her parents. The judge sentenced Sabah Khan to life in prison, with a minimum of 22 years behind bars, meaning she'll be at least 50 before she's released. Judge Moss told her, Not only did you intend your sister to die, but this was no spontaneous event. You'd been planning her death for weeks, and had paid no less than £5,000 to a fixer in Pakistan. You enticed her to come home from work, so that the killing could be carried out. Their killing was astonishingly brutal, said the judge. An impact statement made by Sam's husband, Hafiz Rahman, was also read out in court. He said, My wife Sama was a lovely, caring and kind wife and mother. I feel completely ashamed about my affair with Sabah. I know the affair should have stopped, but I never imagined anything like this would happen. Sama was such a good mum. I try my best with the children, but I can never replace their mum. He said his eldest daughter would never be able to understand why their auntie had killed her mother. He added, not a day goes by that I don't regret my affair with Sabah. After the hearing, DCI Adam Gallup from the Bedfordshire, Cambridge and Hertfordshire Major Crime Unit, who was the senior investigating officer, said, The exceptional work of all involved from first responders through to the search teams and painstaking forensic work ensured that there was no stone left unturned. This was a brutal act of jealousy. It was not a case of honour killing, nor was this the burglary that Sabah Khan tried so hard to create. Sabah wanted her sister's life. She wanted her children and her husband. Hearing the news that they were planning to leave the family home together was the final straw, 
and she took her sister's life in a bitter envy. Everyone working on this case has struggled to comprehend the extent of the force used and the injuries sustained at the hands of this young woman's own sister. These actions can only be fuelled by a deep level of hatred, hatred that had been concealed from the rest of the family. I am pleased that the sentence reflects the premeditated actions that cut short a young woman's life and deprive four young children of growing up with their mother. So what do you make of what we've heard today? No doubt like me you're probably wondering just why on earth did he have an affair with his wife's sister? What was he thinking? I wonder just how it was in that house when the affair was going on and if Seymour ever suspected anything. From my point of view, I think that life is hard enough for us all without adding a complication like this. It is, of course, easy to feel nothing but contempt for him. But I think we must also remember that he didn't kill Seymour. Every day, people are having affairs without such shocking consequences. And he is living a life sentence, living with the results of his actions. And what about Sabah? As she languishes in her cell as we listen to this, I wonder how she will feel about her actions. Does she look back at that period as a time when she lost all sense of reality and feels remorse? Or would she do the same all over again? Our real sympathy here lies with Seymour and her poor children and wider family. A hard-working, fantastic mum who did nothing wrong and must have experienced such utter shock and terror in her final moments when she realised that her own sister was brandishing a knife and attacking her. It's hard for us to comprehend just how this must have felt. I just want small hope that her children are able to grow up keeping their mum in their minds and hearts and can look back on her life with love and pride rather than grief and sorrow. I wonder how they'll feel about their dad going forward. Forgiving, let's hope. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head over to the Facebook group where you'll be made very welcome by 4,000 of us fellow True Crime fans. And to support the show, please head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime to find 36 full-length bonus episodes, my latest video and other exclusive content. And of course, you'll get that lovely warm feeling from supporting your 727th favourite podcaster. You know it makes sense. So that's all from me for today. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to this podcast. It's much appreciated. So until we speak again next week, take it easy. Don't let all the others bring you down. And if you need to relax and unwind, just get your towels together and head on over to Rochdale. So on that bombshell, it's cheerio from me, and remember, stay classy.